شهد الله أنه لا إله إلا هو والملائكة والملائكة وأولو العلم قائما بالقسط لا إله إلا هو العزيز الحكيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله وسلم وبارك على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد. So last week we've taken the reasons for ghusl, right? What were the reasons for ghusl? What makes ghusl obligatory? Why don't you by the front? Why don't you by the back? What makes ghusl obligatory? And number one. Number one. Ah. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. Yeah. 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 And giving birth, even if there is no blood. So we learn about why a person must do ghusl. So now we're going to learn about how to do ghusl. So the author he says, There's three things that are the pillars of ghusl. Or you can say two. You can say two. Like in the, he mentions three here, just for emphasis, for further, further emphasis. Okay? If you do these things, these two or three things, then your ghusl is correct. You don't have to do anything else. If you miss out any one of these things, then your ghusl is incorrect, you have to do it properly. As for the sunan, they're separate, the voluntary acts of ghusl. There's other acts that you must do, that you, that you can do during ghusl, which we're going to learn inshallah. But if you, don't, if you miss out any of those acts, then your ghusl is still correct. You're still, you're still done, like, just like you know with the wudu. You've got six acts of wudu, right, which are obligatory. If you, do, if you do those six and you don't do any other sunan, voluntary extra acts of wudu, like saying bismillah at the beginning, for example, doing it three times, for example, Starting with the right side first, for example. If you don't do that, then your wudu is still correct. Same, same thing as ghusl. If you do these three, then it's correct. If you don't do the rest, voluntary acts, which is saying bismillah as well, doing wudu before it and things like that, then your ghusl is still correct. Taib. Number one is a niyyah, intention. You're having the intention to raise from yourself the state of janaba. Okay? Or whatever reason you're doing ghusl, and you have intention to do ghusl. And what that, this excludes, obviously, is someone, for example, he jumps into the swimming pool or he jumps into the sea. Jumps into the sea, his whole body, and he comes out and then he didn't have an intention. His intention was just to swim. He doesn't have ghusl. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's not in the state of raf al janaba. He hasn't raised from himself the state of impurity because of that. He has to go in again and have the intention and do it again. You understand? Number two is, وَإِزَالَةُ النَّجَاسَةِ إِنْ كَانَتْ عَلَى بَدَنِهِ And this is the one that really is not uh, it's needed, like and it's not really, uh, it, it comes under the, the, the third one, which is to remove any impurities that's on you. If a person has an impurity on their body, on their body, then they need to remove it from them. And the main thing here is al After someone goes to the toilet, someone goes to the toilet, they need to <coughs> remove from themselves the Alhamdulillah. They need to clean themselves after going to the toilet. Then after that, they can do ghusl on the rest of their body. Like if there is najas on the person's body and he, just, he, doesn't, he doesn't remove it first, he just does ghusl straight away, then if the water removes it, then that's enough, right? So that's why we say that it's not really 
necessary. I couldn't some school. Some scholars they say it is necessary, but no problem. And this is the third, this is the second important one, which is to make sure water touches every single part of the body. That water touches every single part of the body. Even the roots of the hair. Obviously not inside the roots of the hair, like in the insides of the hair. Okay? So the people with long hair, they need to make sure the water gets all the way to the inside of the hair. And every single skin, part of the skin. Every single part of the skin of the body, water must touch. Now, this condition here isn't to put waswas into someone. Where someone now, he uh, spends hours in the shower because they're trying to make sure the water gets into the back of the ear and into their belly button and things like that. No. Person needs to, غلبتوظن, as we mentioned, you don't, need to, you don't need to be 100% certain of water touching every single place. But you need to be almost sure, fairly sure. Almost sure, which is غلبتوظن. And غلبتوظن takes the position of yaqeen, takes the same ruling as certainty. يعني, if you're 90% sure, then it, then it means you're 100% sure. It's as if you're 100% sure. You get it? يعني, if you put water into, for example, someone, he went into the sea. He went into the sea. And he was in there for 5 seconds, 10 seconds. Of course, no doubt, the water is going to touch every single part of the body if you're in the sea for that amount of time. So now the person say, no, but I didn't make sure that the water touched, touched the back of my ears. What if it didn't go there? No, and it, it did go there, most likely. Most likely. You understand? So the point is that don't have wiswas. And you have to make sure that water touches every single part of the hair. Uh, the evidence that they use is now a, had a weak hadith. Uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, under every single hair there is janaba. And this is a hadith which is weak. Um, from amongst those who weakened it was Imam al-Shafi'i, and Imam al-Bukhari, and Imam al-Nawwi, rahimahullah ta'ala. Like, there's another hadith which is authentic. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Man taraka mawdi'a sha'aratin min, al- min janabatin lam yagsilhu yuf'alu bihi katha wa katha min al-nar. So he said that whoever um, leaves any part of his body, when he has janaba, he doesn't put water in any part of his body, then such and such punishment will happen to him in the hellfire. So that shows that it's very important to make sure the water touches every single part, and not to be someone who rushes. And later on, we're going to come and see that in, in ghusl, one of the important sunan of voluntary acts is to make sure that, as they say in, in, in uh, um, is that a person makes sure that the water goes into the hard to reach places of the body. And you make sure that you, you, you specify the hard to reach places in the body Like the armpits, underneath the armpits Or the belly button and things like that Or because water may not touch there So you just make sure that water touches those areas And that's enough okay? This is from the sunan, it's voluntary acts So the point is that water must touch every single part of the body طيب. Including the hair That's why we have the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, anha that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when she was describing the ghusl of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would, ثُمَّ أَفَاضَ الْمَاءَ عَلَىٰ رَأْسِهِ حَتَّى إِذَا ظَنَّ أَنَّهُ قَدْ أَرْوَى بَشَرَتَهُ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would pour water onto his hair until he thought that his scalp, has water has touched his scalp. And he would make sure water goes all the way to his scalp. Okay? So that's uh, the important, an important that's the most important part of ghusl after the intention. Those two. Here, the, um, the Sharih mentions a mas'ala, an issue, which is about uh, hair which is braided, braided hair. Okay, uh, we have the hadith of Umm Salama, radiyallahu anha. She said in Sahih Muslim, I said, O Messenger of Allah, She said, O Messenger of Allah, I'm a woman who, I put braids on my hair. 
So do I have to take off these braids when I do ghusl? Because remember we said that it has to touch every single part, every hair and every single, uh, and the bottom of the, and the skin, the scalp, right? So do I have to take it off? So the Prophet وسلم, said, إِنَّمَا يَكْفِيكِ أَن تَحُثِّي عَلَى رَأْسِكِ ثَلَاثَ حَثَيَاتٍ ثُمَّ تَفِيضِينَ عَلَيْهِ الْمَاءَ فَتَطْهَرِينَ uh, The Prophet وسلم, said, is enough for you that you pour water on your hair three times and ثُمَّ تَفِيضِينَ عَلَيْهِ الْمَاءَ فَتَطْهَرِينَ And you, make sure, you put water basically onto your hair and that will be enough for you. يعني you don't have to take it off. So the scholars, they saw this hadith and they explained it and they said, what is meant here is that if a person has uh, plaits on their hair, a woman, they have plaits on their hair, then it's either going to be very tight or a bit loose. Some people, they have plaits which is very tight to their hair, right? They have tight plaits to their hair. And others, they have loose plaits on their hair, right? If it's tight, if it is loose enough to allow water to go through, then this is what is the hadith is talking about. And the plaits aren't very tight, they're loose. When they're loose, the water can get through. When they're very, very tight, it's harder for water to get through. So if it's very tight plaits, then a person must undo them. And if it's very loose, then a person can leave it like that. Is that clear? We'll come on that different hairstyles. For example, some brothers, they have a... Um, uh, يعني, different types of plaits the, 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 the brother the, the, the Jamaicans the dreadlocks they have that and that kind of hair is what when it's very tight like that water can't get through so in that case we would say to them what you have to take them off to do ghusl as for if it's if it's loose plaits or loose tying of the hair for example it's in a bun or something like that then it's fine a person doesn't have to undo it is that clear? طيب. That is uh, that masala, uh, that issue with uh, <coughs> water touching every single part of the body. Then he says, وَسُنَنُهُ خَمْسَةُ أَشْيَاءَ Now the sunan of ghusl are five, meaning voluntary acts. So these first three things that we said, that in, in number one intention, number two, water touching every single part of the body, these are the obligatory acts of ghusl. If you do it, your ghusl is correct. If you don't do it, then your ghusl is incorrect. Now there are extra acts of ghusl that you can do, and they are sunnah. But if you miss them out, your ghusl is still correct. But if you do them, what happens? You're rewarded extra. Okay? Number one, at-tasmiyah. To say bismillah before you do, before you start your ghusl. Why? Qiyasan al-wudu. Because it's just like wudu. And that's why we have the hadith of al-Bayhaqi where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, tawadda'u bismillah. Do wudu in the name of Allah. And another hadith which is also considered to be weak by some of the scholars, la, um, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, there's no wudu for the one who doesn't mention the name of Allah on it. From this, the scholars, they mention that ghusl is saying bismillah before wudu is sunnah. Therefore, saying bismillah before ghusl is sunnah as well. Because it's just, it's, it's both purification. <coughs> Number two, to wash your hands before you enter them into the bucket, into the, the vessel in which water is. Do you guys remember what we said about that last time? Hmm. If you just woke up, then it is obligatory to wash your hands before you put it into the bucket of water. And if it is other than that, then it is sunnah. This is what we're talking about here. Sunnah here. And we mentioned that where? In wudu. Well done. Uh, so that's the same thing. Number three is wal wudu qablahu to do wudu before your ghusl. To do wudu before your ghusl. That's because of the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha and also the hadith of Maymuna. The two wives of the Prophet ﷺ, and here's a benefit. One of the, 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 
the intimate part of the life of the Prophet things that other companions wouldn't see, he would narrate it to us, the wives of the Prophet That's why you find a lot of the rulings pertaining to wudu, or ghusl specifically, ghusl, and marital relations, and things like that. They're all narrated from the wives of the Prophet And the scholars, they mention this is from the wisdoms of allowing the Prophet to have multiple wives. Because, or more than four wives. He was allowed to have more than four wives. And that's something only the Prophet was allowed. He was allowed to have more than four wives. And from one, one of the wisdoms behind that is that, he, that they would teach us a lot of the things that the Prophet would do at home. And the more, obviously because there's more, then there's more that each can relate. For example, the Aisha never knew about Salatul Duha. Aisha never knew about Salatul Duha. They never knew about it. Hatta ibn Abbas never knew about it. Salatul Duha. But it was narrated from other companions. And other, other wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa was narrated that, they, that he would pray duha in their house. But the Prophet sallallahu but Aisha never narrated the salat al-duha. Ibn Abbas used to say, I used to know that there's a salat duha time, meaning in the morning time. Because of the, the ayah in the Quran, and it's, وَذْكُرْ عَبْدَنَا دَاوُدَ ذَا الْأَيْدِ إِنَّهُ أَيْأَوَّابِ إِنَّا سَخْنَا يُسَبِّحْنَ بِالْعَشِيِّ وَالْإِشْرَاقِ They used to do tasbih in the morning and Al-Ishraq, al in the evening and in the Ishraq, in the morning. Ibn Abbas, you say, Tasbih, and they used to pray. Ibn Abbas, you say, but due to this ayah, I knew there was a prayer in the morning, but I never knew what it was until the wife of the Prophet وسلم, told us about Salat al-Duha. So that's the one of the benefits, that maybe one wife wouldn't reach, wouldn't get some information, and the, other, the others will. And that's one of the benefits behind having multiple wives of the Prophet وسلم, And they were the scholars of the, of the women. The wives of the Prophet وسلم, they were all scholars of, amongst the women. Musalama and Aisha radiallahu anha and all of them. So they narrated the, the, the hadith, the wudu before the ghusl is something that was narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha. She said, Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idha ghtasala min al-janaba tawadda'a wudu'ahu lil-salah. When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would want to do ghusl from janaba, he would want to have a bath after being in a state of janaba, yani major impurity, he would do the same wudu that he would do for salah. As narrated by al-Bukhari Muslim. And also the hadith of, uh, hadith of Maymuna, That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, kana yuakhiru ghusla qadamihi. Ghusla qadamihi. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would wash his feet at the end. Meaning, so Maymuna, the way she narrates it is that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would do wudu, but he wouldn't do his feet. So he would do full wudu apart from his feet. Then he would go and have a ghusl. Then when he finishes ghusl, he would wash his feet separately. So here we have two hadith. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would do a wudu of salah and he would do wudu and he wouldn't do his feet. How do you combine between these two hadith? The scholars, they spoke about this. What do we mean by this? Or like, which one do we uh, follow? And some of them, they said this and some of them said that. But the Hanabila, they combined between them. The Hanabila, the Hanbalis, they combined between the two hadith. And they said, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he would wash his feet, in the hadith of Aisha, he would do the full wudu, including his feet, then that's in the situation of when the ghusl, the water would drain. He would be in the place of, of, of taking his ghusl, and the water would go and soak into the ground. Okay? And so it would drain. And so the water wouldn't build up. Because if you're doing ghusl, the water is going to build up and it's going to be on your feet, right? So instead of uh, washing his feet at the beginning and then letting water build up, he would not wash his feet, let the water build up, and wash it at the end. Do you understand? That's when it doesn't drain. And when it does drain, he would do the full wudu, and then he would do ghusl. 
That's enough. Because it drains, the water drains and doesn't build up. Do you understand? So let's say I'm in two situations. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a place where the water, I'm doing ghusl, and when I do ghusl, the water doesn't drain. It just goes, builds up, builds up, builds up, up to my feet. What do I do in that situation? Do I do, when I do wudu, do I wash my feet or not? You do. Why? Before, I'm saying before the wudu, before the ghusl. Drain, the, water the water doesn't drain, it builds up. So, so we, we said you do wudu before ghusl, right? Yeah. You do wudu, then you go into the, into the shower. Okay? Now, I know that when I go into the shower, the water is not going to drain, it's going to build up. So, when I do wudu, do I do my feet or not? No. Why? Hmm? Mm hmm. Hmm. <coughs> According to the hadith, we have two hadith. The Prophet sometimes he would, sometimes he wouldn't. Hmm. Um, Adam, exactly. You would, you would not wash it. Why? You wouldn't wash it. Why? Because you're going to do wudu. Now, when you get inside the shower, the water is going to build up anyway. So you shouldn't. So what's the point of washing your feet at the beginning? You let the water, the dirty water, build up on your feet. Then when you get out, you wash your feet separately. You understand? In another situation where it's going to drain, you do your wudu and your feet. And then you go in, you do your shower, and the water is going to drain. No, no dirty water is going to touch your feet. It's not going to build up. Is that clear? So they, they say it's, it depends on the situation. If, the, if, the, if, the, if you're in a place where the water is going to build up, then you do, you do wudu. Do you wash your feet when you do wudu? Huh? You don't. The end of ghusl. And if it's not going to build up, then you do, then you wash your feet at the beginning with the wudu. Is that clear? Yeah. Mm. Um, but we see when you're doing wudu for, um, what if the previous body part dries up, then some people say that you have to start your wudu again. But if you're doing it, your feet at the end of the water still will not. That's a good, yeah, that's, a, that's a good reason why the shafi'i, they say no, they don't count that. They don't say that. They say you can, you can delay it, even if it dries. <coughs> even if it dries. Then, but in this situation, though you're doing ghusl, you're doing ghusl in between anyway. So you're gonna be you're gonna be washing yourself throughout, throughout the time. So it's gonna be a constant movement. The point is that how do you combine? So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he would do wudu before his ghusl. Sometimes he would wash his feet. Sometimes he wouldn't wash his feet. He would not wash his feet, and he would delay it. He would delay washing his feet if the water is gonna build up, and he would wash his feet after ghusl. If the water is going to build up. So basically just write it like this to understand it simply. Delay washing your feet when water builds up. Do not delay washing your feet when water doesn't build up. Khalas? Shall I repeat that? Delay washing your feet when water builds up. Do not delay washing your feet. Yani wash it at the time before the whole do the full wudu when the water doesn't build up and it drains. It depends on the material. The Prophet sometimes would be, they say it's if mubalat. If it's a place which is um, not soil, if it's soil, it will sink inside. If not, or if you're in a place where it doesn't drain, there's no drain. You're in a bucket, you're doing wudu in a bucket, or in a big container. It's going to build up, you know what it is, right? <coughs> then he says, وَإِمْرَارُ الْيَدَيْنِ عَلَى الْجَسَدِ The next sunnah is to make sure that you. Use your hand to rub all of your body. Use your hand to rub your whole body. When you're doing ghusl, 
Why do we? Have, why should we rub our hands when we do? Why should we rub our bodies when we're doing ghusl? To make sure water touches every single part. But that's sunnah. So if someone just jumps into the water and jumps out fully, is this ghusl correct? Yes, and this is sunnah though. This is sunnah. To make sure you touch it. Understand? The next one is wal muwalah. Yeah, even it doesn't. Do you, is it obligatory to reach the inside of the mouth, mouth and nose? That's uh, yes, safer it is, yes. Safer, it's yes. As opposed to the Shafi'i opinion, which is that you don't have to. Remember, we said in wudu, you don't have to. Like, it's safer to do so. It's safer to do so. But you don't have to, Allah. Wal-Mu'alah. Al-Mu'alah, Sunnah is Mu'alah, meaning you do your whole ghusl in one go. You do all of the ghusl in one go. Al-Mu'alah. What does that mean? You do it all in one go? Same as wudu. Who remembers? No breaks in between. And you don't do half of your body. Then you go and then you wash the rest of your body. Sunnah. But can you do it though? Yeah. You can. And a good example of this is, is a person with long hair or a woman. They're in the state of janaba at night time. They're in the state of janaba at night time. And they don't want to wash their hair in the morning at fajr time. So what do they do? Right there and then. Instead of, and they don't want to have a shower then and then. They go and wash your hair and then tie it up with, with a towel and then sleep. And then in the morning, just wash the, wash the rest of your body. By that, you would have done all of your whole body, but just at separate occasions. Do you understand? So it makes it easy and it's allowed. Okay? And the next one is, To start with the right before the left. Yeah, you do the right part, right part of your body before you do the left part of your body. No, you don't have to do all of the ghusl in one go. So as a ben, what a woman can do is that she can... Wash her hair at night time and then tie it up so it dries. And then in the morning, she does the rest of her body without having to wash her hair again. Because washing the hair is a bit long for women. No. Is that clear? Uh, and you start with the right side before the left side. And as we said before in Wudu as well. But these are some of the sunnah. The next, some of the sunnah that he left out as well is is to make sure that you make sure water touches the parts, the hard to reach areas. Whether it be the armpits, whether it be the belly button, whether it be the flat, the, the, the fat when it folds up in the belly, if someone has a stomach that folds up and they lift it up to make sure that the water gets there, then that's also important. Between the thighs also is important. Um, and these, these areas to make sure that water touches every single part of the body. Mm. Under the fingernails as well, without having waswas. Without having waswas, so a person going in and like, going, making sure that it touch, goes into the, every single part of the fingernails like that and that. And if you're inside the shower, it's going to touch your fingernails, inshallah. You understand? These are the sunan of ghusl that the author, rahimahullah ta'ala, mentions. Al-Khulasa, the summary that we can give, is that ghusl of the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is that when he was in the state of janaba, he would say, Bismillah, wash his hands. Then he would do wudu. Then he would go into the bath, and he, and he would wash, number one, his private parts. He'll start with the private part, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then, after washing his private part, he would wash his hair until he, knew, he thought until he thought that the water has touched his scalp. And then he'll pour water on the rest of his body three times. And then if he didn't wash his feet, he'll do his feet after. And from the sunan is also to not use, to not dry your body after. To not dry your body with a towel after. Because the hadith of Musalama said, or Maymuna, I said, I gave the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Bi khirqa, fa'atayituhu bi khirqa, fa'raddaha 
he, I gave him a, a, a towel and he, re he rejected it, he didn't want it. Obviously that's in a situation where you're not going to get ill if it's cold, if it's hot, it's a hot country. Like if it's a cold country, then it's, you can use a towel and it's allowed. طيب. And that's the ghusl of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As narrated in the hadith. طيب. Then the author rahimahullah mentions the next topic which is وَالْأَغْسَالُ الْمَسْنُونَةُ سَبْعَةَ عَشَرَ Before we mentioned six times when the ghusl is wajib, right? Six times, right? Now we're going to mention 17 times where it's sunnah. So it's not wajib, it's sunnah. Do you understand? Hmm. Hmm. No, you start with the ghusl by washing your private part, right? Yeah. And then you do the rest of your body and it's fine. Then your ghusl is enough for the wudu as well. But you start at the beginning. But after your ghusl, when you finish your ghusl, then you shouldn't touch your private part. After your ghusl. But during, it's fine. It doesn't break the wudu. طيب والأغسال المسنونة سبعة عشر غسلا سبعتين يا sorry yeah if something comes out wind comes out during غسل you still have wudu after you finish your غسل if sorry if wind comes out during your غسل then you still have wudu after your غسل does it for wudu? So if you, if you have to do a wajib ghusl, do you have to do wudu separately as well? We say if it is a wajib ghusl, meaning one of the six things, you're in the state of janaba, then if you do that ghusl, then it's enough, you don't have to do wudu. That ghusl is enough because you're raising from yourself the state of al-hadath al-akbar, major hadath. So therefore anything that's underneath it, which is lower, minor hadath, is also raised. Okay, what about if it's a sunnah ghusl, like here? Then we say if the person has an intention, with for wudu as well, then he has ghusl. He has is enough for him as well. But if he doesn't have intention, then it's only ghusl. He has to do wudu separately. Hmm. Those are the common questions that come up with ghusl. Another common question is that can you can you just do ghusl in the shower? But yeah, of course, because people think that you have to have a bath. No, it can be in the shower as well. No. Your intention is to have wudu as well. Find as long as you have the intention, then it's fine. You have the wudu as well. Yeah. Yeah, I said that right. You pour over the head and then you pour over three times. So rest of your body. Oh, so it's not to be like right side. No, 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 no. No, no. But when you do your hands, you do your right hand. طيب الغسال المسنون different types of غسل وشاء سنة in the Sharia number one is غسل الجمعة the غسل of the day of جمعة meaning having غسل on the day of جمعة having a bath on Friday and this is because of the hadith of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم when he said غسل الجمعة واجب على كل محتلم that the غسل of جمعة Friday is a واجب يعني emphasized here that's what it means upon every single person who's reached the age of puberty okay some scholars they said that this ghusl is wajib, it's obligatory. You have to have ghusl every Jum'ah. Have to be. According to this hadith. Because they took the word wajib and they understood it to mean wajib, yani obligatory. And in reality, the word wajib doesn't just mean that. That's not what just the word wajib means. For example, here the Sharih mentions, for example, an example it would be where if I would say to say to you, Haquqa wajibun alayya. Your right, your right that you have upon me is wajib on me. Yani, it's emphasized upon me. I must look after you. I feel like I must look after you. I need to look after you. طيب. 
So that's the uh, reason to show that here wajib doesn't mean obligatory. Another thing that shows that wajib doesn't mean obligatory here is the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said when he said man tawadda yawm al-jumu'ati fa biha wa ni'mat wa man ightasala fal ghusl afdal whoever does wudu on the day of friday then that's okay that's good wa man and whoever does ghusl then ghusl is better so that shows that he said that you can do wudu right so therefore you can just do wudu also we have that athar of Uthman ibn Affan radiyallahu anhu when he came into the masjid and Umar ibn Khattab radiyallahu anhu was the khalifa and he was doing khutbah and he came into the masjid late for jumu'ah and so Umar يعني, criticized, spoke, spoke, يعني, scolded him for coming late for Jumu'ah because Uthman is, a, is an Imam. He's one of the, he's the, the, the best companion after Umar who's alive. And he's coming late for Jumu'ah, he's a role model. So he shouldn't be coming late for Jumu'ah. So he told them off. And Uthman said, I was busy and I only had time to do wudu as well. What does that show? That he had done wudu, right? So it sufficed, the wudu was sufficient. Even though Umar said, You only done wudu as well? So he came late, and you only done wudu. That's what he said. So, but the point is that the, the companions, they didn't say that he has to go back home and do ghusl or anything like that. طيب. So that shows that this hadith, when the Prophet said, ghusl ala kulli muhtalim, The ghusl of Friday is obligatory upon every, or is emphasized upon every person at the age of puberty, then this is a sunnah. Number two, the second issue which comes under this is that who is it obligatory upon? We say it's obligatory upon, or who is it sunnah for, sorry? We say it is sunnah for a person who's attending Jumu'ah. It's sunnah for a person who's attending Jumu'ah. As for a person who's not attending Jumu'ah, then it's not necessarily sunnah for them to do ghusl every Jumu'ah. Uh, the next thing is that uh, Ibn Saymiyyah rahimahullah mentions a good, mas- a good issue in, with regards to this, combining between the two opinions uh, in a way, even though it does go back to that it is sunnah. He says that it is a sunnah, but it becomes obligatory if a person has a bad smell. If a person, for example, he <coughs> was working the whole day, was working outside in the sun, and he comes to Jumu'ah, we say that person is sweating, you should go home and do your ghusl, it's obligatory because you're going to harm the people. And if we know that the Prophet said, Man akala min shajara, whoever eats from the onion or the thum, the garlic, فَلَا يَقْرَبَنَّ مَسَاجِدَنَا The Prophet said, do not come to our masjid, don't come close to the masjid. And he said, فَإِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ تَتَأَذَّ مِمَّا يَتَأَذَّ مِنْهُ بَنُوْ آدَمْ Because the angels, they are harmed by whatever the human beings are harmed by. Yani, if the Prophet ﷺ now told someone who ate onions and garlic to stay away from the masjid, then obviously someone who's coming with a bad smell, whether it be a smell of uh, sweat, whether it be a smell of cigarettes, whether it be any other bad smell, his clothes have uh, bad smell or anything like that, then that shows that also it's harmful. And so we say that it's obligatory upon that person to do ghusl, especially on Jumu'ah because it's a time where the Muslims, they all gather inside the masjid in congregation, large congregations. So therefore you're going to harm whoever's next to you. So, and we know that we're not allowed to harm the people around us with our smell because of the hadith of the garlic and the onion that you stay away from the masjid. So therefore we say that it's obligatory in the situation. Yeah. So I was going to say, so let's say someone smells in a masjid, can you just tell them that, oh, you got to go home? Yeah. If someone smells and they come to the masjid, obviously it's not, it's not going to be something that's wise to tell them like that. Lakin it is advisable to, to advise the people. And if, something, if it does happen, then it's advisable for the imam, teacher, to teach the people about this. It's important for them to teach about this. Because bad smells inside the masjid are... And it's not acceptable, to be honest. It's unacceptable. It's true. It's not, it's not acceptable. Um, whether it be um, people eating some iftar and, and they burp next to you. These kind of things. It's not acceptable. Because it's harmful for the human beings around us. And we know that a person is about to pray, he loses the khushur. 
it's harmful for the angels because we know the Prophet ﷺ told us so. And it's disrespectful in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if a person was going to be going in front of a king or a president or a boss or a job interview, they're not going to go like that. So what about Allah? Are you going to make Allah the one, the least, the more, least important person that's going to look at you? And Ibn Abbas عنهما, he would spend huge amounts of money on his clothing for Qiyam al-Layl, for night prayer. And for the night prayer, he would buy, he would buy expensive clothes and perfume and put it on and he would pray in front of Allah like that. So a human being needs to make sure that they come into the masjid in a clean way, knowing that you're in front of Allah, who is more important than that job interview or whoever you're going in front of. So it's important, Naam, you should, that a person should be advised in a wise way. In a wise way. No? I'm coming, we're coming to all of these messages, inshallah. Now, um, the next the next issue is the that's, a, that's a, for the one who's obligatory upon, right? Now, our sunnah upon. The next masala is when is ghusl of Jumu'ah? When do we do it? When do we do it? The wallahu alam is that the ghusl of Jumu'ah is different to Surah Al-Kahf. Reciting Surah Al-Kahf, you can do it the night before because the night before is also Friday, right? Uh, as for the ghusl, then it's from Fajr time. That's when it starts. And if you do it after Fajr, then you've completed the Sunnah. And the best time, as Imam Malik mentions, is to do it just before you leave the house to go to the masjid. Just before you leave your house to go to the masjid. That's the best time. But if you do it after Fajr, then that's sufficient. Taib? Is that clear? That's for Ghusl. No, not night time. The Ghusl of Jum'ah has to be during the day of Jum'ah, not during the night of Jum'ah. As for Surah Al-Kahf, then yes, you can read it at night time. As for Ghusl, then no. You read it during the day of Jumu'ah. Allahu A'lam. Tayyib, um, that is Ghusl of Jumu'ah. Tayyib, the next Ghusl is Wal-Eidain. The Ghusl of the two Eids. Eid Al-Adha and Eid Al-Fitr. Eid Al-Adha and Eid Al-Fitr. And it's recommended for a person before they go to the Salah to do Ghusl, to go to, before they go to the Eid prayer, to make sure that they do Ghusl. And this is when, when is the time for it? Before Fajr. Before Fajr, because the Sunnah for Eid prayer is to be straight after Fajr prayer, after the Shuruq, when the sun rises. So you pray Fajr, sun rises, and you, start, you pray Eid prayer straight away. That's the Sunnah. So, therefore, to do Ghusl before you go to Fajr prayer and then stay inside the Masjid until Eid prayer is the Sunnah. And this is something that was narrated by Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yagtasilu yawm al-fitri wa yawm al-adha. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he would do Ghusl on the day of Fitr and the day of Adha, yani the two Eids. وَكَانَ عُمَرُ وَعَلِيُّ يَفْعَلَانِهِ وَكَذَا بِنْ عُمَرُ Umar and Ali, they used to do it. And also Abdullah ibn Umar, radiyallahu ta'ala anhumah, they will all do the ghusl of the Eid before the Eid prayer. So the sunnah here is the Eid prayer. Another principle here is that we're going to see throughout these sunnah ghusls, or these, these different types of ghusl, that there is recommended during times of congregation. So here we say, that during times of congregation, or rare congregations, the sunnah is to do ghusl. Not rare, but not, not very everyday occurring. Yeah, in the five daily prayers, we're not saying sunnah to do ghusl for the five daily prayers. Because that's going to be a mashaqqa. That's hardship. It has hardship in it. Like when there's occasions in the sharia, different occasions in the sharia, which command a congregation, a gathering of the Muslims, then we say sunnah for them to do ghusl, to make sure that they don't harm anyone. You understand? That's the principle. No, no, we don't do every tarawih every night, no. You don't, it's not. Yeah, it's because hardship. Tayyip. So, uh, two Eids. The next one is, hmm, 
No, just before Fajr. The, the, the scholars, they will do it just before Fajr. Meaning, just before they will leave, before Fajr prayer. Okay? The next one is well, the Sahaba. Well, the next one is istisqa, the prayer for rain. When you're going out for the prayer for rain. The rain prayer. Al-istisqa, salat al-istisqa, we're going to come to it, inshallah ta'ala, in Kitab al-Salah, when we get to it, inshallah, how to pray for rain. How do you pray for rain? But the point is that the salat al-istisqa is done in the same way as Eid. Just the reasoning is different. But... It is so therefore it's sunnah to do ghusl because you're going to gather as well. The next one is wal kusuf wal khusuf. The lunar eclipse and the solar eclipse. Oh sorry, the solar eclipse and the lunar eclipse. Kusuf with a kaf is the solar eclipse. Wal khusuf with a kha is the lunar eclipse. Meaning the sun eclipsing and the moon eclipsing. You understand? Ka, al kusuf with a kaf is solar eclipse. Is the solar eclipse prayer. And we're going to learn about the eclipse prayer when we come to it after istisqa. والخصوف, which is the, the, the lunar eclipse, meaning the moon eclipsing. It's called al-khusuf. And there's prayers for each of those. We pray, we have a specific prayer that we come to the masjid and pray together. Therefore, it's sunnah to do ghusl for that, according to them, according to that principle. Wallahu alam, if it's been narrated from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then he says, وَالْغُسْلُ مِنْ غَسْلِ الْمَيِّتِ The next ghusl is to do ghusl after you wash a dead body. To do ghusl after you wash a dead body. And they have the hadith where it says Whoever washes a dead body, then let him do ghusl. And whoever carries a dead body, then let him do wudu. Now, so here we have the hadith and it shows, it sounds like a, a command, right? So where did they say, they say that it's not a command, why, why did they say it's not obligatory? They say it's not obligatory because, number one, the hadith is not authentically attributed to the Prophet sallallahu but it is authentically attributed to the companion Abu Huraira, as narrated by Tirmidhi and Imam Ahmed mentions that. So who said the statement? Man ghassala mayitan falyagtasil wa man hamalahu falyatawadda. Whoever carries a, body, a dead body, let him do wudu. And whoever washes it, then let him do ghusl. Abu Huraira said it. And Abu Huraira, if he commands us, does that mean that it's obligatory? No. So therefore the scholars, they say, just in case, we say it's sunnah. Okay? And this is the opinion of Imam Ahmed and Imam Shafi'i, rahimahullah ta'ala. The next one is والكافر إذا أسلم A disbeliever when he becomes Muslim A kafir, disbeliever When he becomes Muslim It's sunnah for him to do ghusl وروي عنه عليه الصلاة والسلام أمر قيس بن عاصم وثمامة بن أثال أن يغتسلان لما أسلما The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم He commanded قيس بن عاصم وثمامة بن أثال To do ghusl when they became Muslim as for Thumama, Thumama ibn Uthal, then he was the leader of Banu Hanifa, the tribe of Banu uh, Hanifa. And they were a tribe in the, in the Najd area of, of, of the Arabian Peninsula, today known as Yamama. Even at the time of the Prophet وسلم, was known as Al-Yamama, where the battle of Al-Yamama occurred. He was the leader of their tribe, and he was captured by the companions on his, on his journey. And they, so they brought him to Al-Madina. And the Prophet وسلم, tied him to one of the pillars of the masjid. As, as a prisoner in the, in the masjid And so he was watching And there's the wisdom of the Prophet ﷺ behind this That he saw the Muslims every day praying five times a day And he saw the actions of the Muslims What do, what do these Muslims they do And so after eight days approximately He left He was untied And the Prophet ﷺ let him go And every day the Prophet ﷺ would come to him And say, and say to him What are you, what, what are you thinking O Thumama What are you thinking And he would say He would say to the Prophet ﷺ In taqtul 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 dam 
if you kill me, then you're killing someone who's, يعني, his blood is, is pricey. Meaning, if you kill me, my whole tribe's coming after you, basically. يعني, تقتل, تقتل تعفو, and if you forgive me, then you're forgiving someone. If you let me go for free, then you're letting someone go who's able to honor you. يعني, money. So, do what you want. And so the Prophet وسلم, would leave him. And every day he would ask him that question. Until he freed him. And so he went, Uthumama went, and he went behind a tree and he done ghusl. And he came back and then he became Muslim. And he said, I didn't want to become Muslim whilst I was tied up. Because I didn't want the people to think that I was forced to become Muslim. Because he saw that, and this was the wisdom of the Prophet وسلم, that he tied him up there. Why? So he can see the actions of the Muslims and the beauty of Islam. And he knows what Islam is all about. And so he became Muslim. When he became Muslim, he was the head of his tribe. So his tribe cut off the mushrikeen of Quraysh, the, the, the routes, the routes to uh, trade. Until the point that they were starving. The Quraysh, they, became, they started to starve and they were hungry. Because he was the, he was the leader of the tribe. He, he, he had a position. He, he stopped يعني, the, the routes of trade of Quraysh. And so from that, we, saw, we see that he, was, he went to do ghusl, right? So therefore, it's sunnah to do ghusl when a kafir becomes Muslim. And it's not obligatory. والمجنون إذا أفاق الحلاب لا يسيس بلقته لكن والله أعلم السنة والمجنون إذا أفاق والمغمى عليه إذا أفاق the next two is the insane person when he becomes sane and the one who is unconscious when he becomes conscious يعني if someone's insane جن possession mental mentally his 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 sanity goes away and that person is sunnah when he becomes sane again to do ghusl and also the one who becomes unconscious whether he be fainting whether he be unconsciousness through operation or anything like that then, or an illness, then it's sunnah for him to do ghusr. Why? Why did the Shafi'i say that? They say that because the Imam Shafi'i, rahimahullah ta'ala, says, That very rarely, that, or the majority of the times when someone becomes insane and loses his sanity, then they ejaculate. And obviously if someone ejaculates and they don't know that they ejaculated, then it's sunnah to do ghusr and not obligatory. That's the reason that he gives. The next one is, وَالْغُسْلُ عِنْدَ الْإِحْرَامِ For a person to do ghusl when they're about to enter into ihram. And ihram is the state that you enter into when you are about to go for hajj or umrah. In the state of ihram, when you wear those two towels, when you go to umrah. For those people who've been, people who've seen it on TV. That, you see that, the person, when, they go into, when they're about to do umrah or hajj, they wear those two white clothing. Or even the women, when they are um, in the state of ihram. Why? Because the hadith of Zayd ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم تجرد لإهلاله واغتسل The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم When he was about to start his إهلال يعني his, his إحرام He took off his clothes and he done غسل And that shows that the غسل of إحرام is سنة And what further backs this up Is that أسماء بنت عميس The wife of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq رضي الله عنه Gave birth in حجة الوداع At the time of Hajj right? And when she gave birth she was in the state of nifas, and the Prophet still commanded her to do ghusl. She was in her postnatal bleeding after he gave birth, that bleeding period. She was in, in that nifas, and the Prophet still commanded her to do ghusl. So that shows that the ghusl of, of ihram is a sunnah. The next one is for a person to enter into Mecca. When a, when a person is about to enter into Mecca, it is sunnah for them to do ghusl. And the reason for that is the hadith of Ibn Umar. Hmm. يعني obviously you wouldn't do it on the plane. Yeah. You do it before, before you get onto the plane. At home. Yeah, you can do it for the airport. Anytime you you can you can do it. Yeah. Um, 
And if you're in Saudi, if you're there already, if you're in Medina, for example, in Dhul Hulifa, they have the showers there and stuff like that. And if you can't, then it's Sunnah. You don't have to. Do. Disbeliever coming a Muslim, say he committed zina before and he had the intention to uh, do a Muslim because he was coming a Muslim. Is this because he said accepted because his intention wasn't to raise the state of Janaba from it? Uh, he, he's not in the state of Janaba because he's a kafir. And when he becomes Muslim, Islam, he takes away everything before it. So he's not in the state of Janaba anymore. So I become a Muslim. طيب. Then, وَلِدُخُولِ مَكَّةَ To enter into Mecca. Entering into Mecca is a sunnah for a person to do ghusl before they enter into Mecca. This is the action of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, uh, he would, كان يبيت, كان, uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, bata bi Before he entered into Mecca, he stayed at night in a place called the Tua, or the Tua, which is just outside of Mecca, just outside of the, the Haram area. And so he would sleep there at night, and in the morning he would do his ghusl, يصبح ويغتسل ثم يدخل مكة نهارا ويذكر عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أنه كان يفعله رواه الشيخان ولفظه لمسلم. The Prophet صلى الله ابن عمر used to do that and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to do that. At night time he would stay in that place he would camp there in the tua and then in the morning he would do his ghusl and then he would enter into Mecca. So he goes into Mecca fresh and clean. طيب. Obviously today if someone's about to go from Medina to Mecca or Jeddah to Mecca or another city to Mecca then they do ghusl. When the, the, the closest time that they're able to, right? Whether it be Heathrow Airport or whether it be in, in, in when you land. طيب. Then he says, Standing for Arafah. On the day of Arafah, which is the ninth of Dhul Hijjah. The ninth of Dhul Hijjah. The day, the day before, the day of Eid. The day when we fast. Uh, the day of Arafah. Is the time of congregation. All of the Muslims who are doing Hajj, they all congregate, congregate in Arafah, and on the ninth of the Hajj. So therefore, we say, based on that principle, then they say it is Sunnah to do Ghusl for Arafah because of the principle of what? Of Ijtima, of congregation. ولأن ابن عمر رضي الله عنهما كان يفعله وحكى ابن الخلل ذلك عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم. This is something Ibn Umar used to do, and some of the scholars narrated it from the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. ومنها الرمي أيام التشريق ورمي الجمال الثلاث. When you're going, the next one is to when you're going to stone the jamarat. When a person is going to stone the jamarat, the three jamarat. Uh, and that is on the eleventh, twelfth, and thirteenth of the Hijjah, after Zuhur every day. Eleventh, twelfth, and thirteenth of the Hijjah after Zuhur, after Zawal, a person goes and stones the jamarat, throws the stones at the jamarat. And it's a time of congregation, therefore it's sunnah. For a person to do ghusl according to that principle again. Um, the next one is tawaf to do tawaf of hajj. To do tawaf of hajj. So it's not every single tawaf, but it is tawaf, the word tawaf that are connected to hajj. So tawaf al qudum, tawaf al ifada, and tawaf al wada', which we're going to learn about in, in hajj. The diff three different types of tawaf of hajj. Uh, this is what is in my book. In, in your book, you guys might have walidukhul ibn Medina and al Muzdalifa, those two are missing. Um, and both are. The, as for the Muzdalifa one, when, which is the tenth, the ninth of the Hijjah, after you finish the ninth of the Hijjah, Arafah, you go to Muzdalifa to sleep. And that's the reason for that is because of congregation. And as for entering into the Medina, then Wallahu Alam, you don't compare, it's, it's Qiyasan ala Mecca. Because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam done it when he went to Mecca, therefore they say that you should do it when you go to Medina, and this is weak, Wallahu Alam. You don't, you don't have to do it when you go into Medina. Wallahu Alam, no. Hmm? I'm between Safa and Marwa as well. Uh, and that's uh, it's connected to the tawaf one, so you don't need that one ever. So you connected to the tawaf. 
طيب فصل في المسح على الخفين wiping over the socks wiping over the socks is something that was narrated from the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم ابن حجر الاسقلاني رحمه الله he says that تواتر that is something that is متواتر from the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم wiping over the socks was narrated from multiple sources from the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم to the point that they cannot be counted there are a huge number of companions they narrated this wiping over the socks from the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and that's why and from amongst the most famous hadith is the hadith narrated by Jarir ibn Abdullah al-Bajali radiyallahu anhu he said ra'aytu rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ba'la thumma tawadda'a wa masa'a ala khuffayhi i saw the prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam urinating and then he then wudu and he wiped over his socks here the sharih the explainer of the book he says wa kana yu'jibuhum hadha al-hadith this hadith they used to read the scholars of hadith they used to love this hadith why لأن إسلام جرير بعد نزول المائدة because جرير مبدي الله he became Muslim later on and what's the benefit of a companion narrating something that happened later أحسنت the benefit of this in أصول الفقه is that if a companion who narrated this hadith he said I saw it or I heard it he didn't narrate from someone else he saw it himself and he became Muslim towards the end of the life of the Prophet That shows that no one can claim now that this ruling is abrogated. It's no longer in place. Because if now a companion, he narrates something and he was late later on. That shows what? That one of the conditions of, of abrogation is that we must know the, the, the history, right? The date. When was it in, the ruling in place and when was it taken away? And when is it, you guys understand what abrogation means? Meaning there's a ruling in Islam during the time of the Prophet then later on that ruling is no longer acted by the Prophet said okay no, this ruling is no longer there we don't, we don't use this ruling anymore for example hmm? alcohol alcohol was halal right? wine then it became haram it was abrogated that's not really an example like in, uh, to make you understand something was haram or something was obligatory for example in the ayah sadaqa. If you want to speak to the Prophet ﷺ privately, then give charity before you speak to him. So it was a ruling. Before, you wanted to, before, you could, the, before the companions wanted to speak to the Prophet ﷺ, they would have to give charity before they go speak to him. You have to give charity, then you can go speak to him. Then Allah revealed, If you can't find it now, After that, Allah revealed the next ayah saying, Okay, this, this ruling is no longer there. You don't have to now give charity anymore. Ali ibn Abi Talib was the only one who acted by this ayah. And that shows that it was very a short period, very short period of time. Ali ibn Abi Talib said, I was the only one who gave charity before talking to the Prophet ﷺ when this ayah was revealed. And then the, ayah, then the ruling was abrogated. You know what abrogated means now? The ruling is no longer in place. Do you understand? Is there anyone who doesn't understand? Everyone understand what abrogation is? Okay? Another, another ayah, another example of abrogation is... Hmm. Mm. So different, times. different times, yeah. It's one after the other, but period, period of time after. Similar, similar here, watch, look at this, yeah. We have the ayah when Allah says, That the, the, the families, they have more right than the muhajirin and the ansar have, right, have a right over each other. Meaning, the muhajir, the one who came from Mecca to Medina, the muhajirin, muhajirun, when they came from Mecca to, and they lived in Medina, what did the Prophet ﷺ do to them? 
He knows Nasira. What happened? He? He paired them up. A Muhajir would be in pair with the Ansari. To the point that Ansari, the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises them. That one of them will say, I'm divorcing one of my wives, take one of my wife, and I'm divorcing one, you can have one. Half of my wealth is yours. Take half of my, my money, all of it is yours. They were paired up, they were brothers. Allah, the Prophet and Allah says about them, praises the Ansar, how generous they were. Allah says that they preferred the Muhajirin over their own selves. Even if they, they were in need, they would prefer the Muhajirin, they would give them. They were in need, they would give it to them. From the rulings that were in place at that time was that the Muhajir would inherit from the Ansari. And the Ansari would inherit from the Muhajir. So if the Ansari died, he would inherit from him. He would take a portion of the inheritance. But then Allah abrogated that. For what ayah? The people of family members, they have more right than the Muhajir and the Ansar. Therefore, the Muhajir and Ansar no longer now inherit from each other. You understand? That's correct. So that was abrogated. Do you understand abrogation now? There's many different examples of abrogation in the Quran. This ayat was abrogated by the Quran itself. Right? And there's wisdom behind it. So now the Shia, they claimed that wiping over the socks is abrogated. They say it's no longer there. Because Allah says in the Quran, Ya And it says, Wash your feet now. So therefore, yes, the Prophet ﷺ, he did wipe his feet in the hadith. But Surah Al-Ma'idah, when was it revealed? Near the end, right, of the Prophet ﷺ's life, right? So therefore, that shows that now the wiping over the socks is no longer there. You have to wash it because the eye abrogated it. We say no. Jari ibn Abdullah, he became Muslim late after Surah Al-Ma'idah was revealed and still he saw the Prophet ﷺ wiping over. That shows the ayah doesn't abrogate it. Do you understand? Mm. Do you guys understand that? Mm. Sorry? We're going to speak about all of that, inshallah. Yeah. Yeah, can some ayat? Yeah, some ayat in the Quran, they abrogated itself. The actual ayah was abrogated itself in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yeah, possible. There's many ayats like that. Shaykhatu, shaykhu, shaykhatu, idha zaniya fajriduhum al-batta nakala min Allah, Allah Aziz and Hakim. It's no longer there. Things like that. Mm. Changed? No, no, no. Allah would ever, Allah says, yab, Allah says in the Quran, man nansakh min ayatin. When Allah brings, uh, when Allah abrogates an ayah, we bring, He says we bring one that is similar to it or another one. That's for changing actual ayah in a different way. No, hmm? it adds, adds something, removes it, but it doesn't change. Hmm. From the wisdoms of abrogation, are, is is to tadruj, is to. To slowly allow the companions to get into something. For example, we have another example of an abrogation, and it's an important topic, inshallah. Another example of abrogation is that in tubidu ma fi anfusikum o tukhfuhu, yuhasibukum bihillah. You guys think about that meaning. Allah says, if you say something or you keep something inside yourself, Allah is going to hold you accountable. And if you say something, if you do something, Allah is accountable. I understand that, right? But what if you think about something? Accountable as well. Hasibukum billah. What are you guys going to say about that? 
How is it abrogated? Prove it. From the Quran. The next ayah. Basically, when the ayah was revealed, the companions they came to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and they said, "Ya Rasulullah, qad kullifna ma la nutiq. We've been told to do something we can't do. We can control ourselves, but how can we control our thoughts?" So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Aturiduna an taqulu kama qalat banu Israel, sami'na wa asayna. Qulu sami'na wa ta'na. Do you want to say like what the like what Bani Israel said? We hear and we disobey. Say we hear and we obey. And so the companions said, "We hear and we obey. Amanna." We believe and we hear and we obey. Why? What's the benefit in that now? Because if you're able to control your thoughts, are you going to be able to control your, your actions? It's a benefit, right? So this is training the companions to do what? To be able to stay away from sins because Allah wants to make the companions the best generation. And they are the best of generations. Just to, make, just to train them even more, He said you're going to be accountable for even your, your thoughts. To train them. And that's a benefit. So they're now, if you now, as a Muslim, you train yourself to not even think about haram, are you going to be able to go to haram? And if you, the things that make you do haram is what, when you see it, when you think about it, right? If you're able to train yourself to stay away from even thinking about doing something haram, are you going to be able to do it? Never. So it's a benefit, right? So the companions, this, this is the benefit for them. And there's many different benefits. And then Allah said after that, Allah revealed, آمَنَ الرَّسُولُ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ رَبِّي وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ Allah, the messenger has believed in what Allah was revealed to his messenger. And the believers, they also believed. All of them, they believed in Allah. We believe in all of the messengers. Right? And they said, The companions, they said, We hear and we obey. Allah forgive us. Then Allah, the next ayah. No, Allah does not burden a soul more than what you can take. For you is what you earn, meaning your hands, whatever you do. For you, for you is what your, is your good deeds, your actions. And against you is what you do as well. What did that say? Therefore, what you think is a part of it. So you only, you only get what you do, and your sins are only what you do as well. As for your, your beliefs, I mean, your beliefs, your actions, your, your, your mind, your thoughts, it doesn't come under it. So that I abrogated it. So from here we understand Jalil ibn Abdullah al-Bajali, he, he came after Surah Al-Ma'idah. So therefore this ayah could not be revealed. It could not be abrogated. طيب. فَلَا تَكُونُ آيَةُ الْمَعِدَةِ الدَّالَةَ عَلَىٰ غَصْلِ الرِّجْلَيْنِ نَاسِخَةِ لِلْمَسْقَىٰ قَالَ النَّوِي وَغَيْرُهُ إِلَّا مَا مِنْ نَوِي He said about wiping over the socks وَأَجْمَعَ مَنْ يُعْتَدُّ بِهِ فِي الْإِجْمَاعِ عَلَىٰ جَوَازِ الْمَسْحِ عَلَىٰ الْخُفَيْنِ فِي الْحَضَرِ وَالسَّفَرِ all of them have unanimously agreed that you're allowed to wipe over your socks, whether you are traveling or whether you're resident. You don't have to be traveling. Some, some people might say, only when you're traveling you can wipe over the socks. No, even if you're at home. So, whether you need to or you don't need to. Whether it's cold or not. It's, if it's hard, if it's, someone might say, yeah, but it's, not, it's, hard, it's easy to take off your socks. So just take it off and wash it. No, you're allowed to wipe over, even if it's easy. Huh? Even a woman who's just at home, she doesn't do anything, she's just at home. She's putting her socks. She's allowed to wipe off her socks. And even the paralyzed person doesn't walk. Put him socks on him, he's allowed to wipe over her. No difference of opinion. Hmm? And the only people who went against us were the Rafid, the Shia. They said it's not allowed to wipe over the socks. That's why they wipe over their feet. They wipe over their 
feet. And that's why the scholars of Aqeedah, in books of Aqeedah, they started to mention this issue in books of Aqeedah. That we say, وَنَرَى الْمَسْحَ الْخُفَيْنِ We, Ahlul Sunnah, we believe in wiping over the socks. Why? As opposed to the Shia and the Rafidah, the people of innovation. Because when the people of Sunnah, they agree upon an issue, and the, this, the, the, this believers, they, or the, the, the people of innovation, they go and... Why? Did I make a mistake? إلا أن تقولوا قول معروفة إلا أن تفعلوا إلا أولياءكم معروفة نعم إلا أن تفعلوا إلا أولياءكم معروفة رأيك رأيتلي سوري إلا أن تفعلوا إلا أولياءكم معروفة كان ذلك في الكتاب المسطورة طيب so you're right نعم ذاك الأخير so زين نعم أهل السنة and the books of عقيدة they would mention these issues when the people of of innovation they went against them alright for example, they say wiping over the socks. For example, actions of rebelling against the Muslim leader. When the Khawarij, they were the ones who went against the Ahlul Sunnah, when it comes to rebelling against the Muslim leader, they started putting in their books of Aqeedah what? That we believe that الإمام, we don't believe that we're allowed to go against the Muslim leader, rebel against the Muslim leader. Because this is the, the belief of who? The Khawarij. They're the ones who, and the Mu'tazila. They're the ones who believe in this. And this is similar, the Mas'ha uh, al wiping over the socks. So someone can, can someone say it's just a fiqh issue? It's not just a fiqh issue, it's a part of our, our religion. And a person who goes against it, they have a tendency of the khawarij. They are um, the, the, the Shia, the Rafidah. Yeah, similar, Tarawih. Tarawih, because the only people who went against the Tarawih were the Shia. They, didn't, they say it's the Bid'ah of Umar. They say it's the Bid'ah of Umar. So they don't, they don't pray Tarawih. So we say we pray, we pray Tarawih. And that's why the scholars, they say it is Sunnah to wipe over the socks when you're in the land of the, of the Shia. When you're in the land of the Shia and Shia around you, wipe over your socks on purpose just to show them. Because to, to show the Sunnah, to revive the Sunnah. Would you say that the Ahnaf, they're not in this category because no, they the, use the leather socks? Yeah, no, no, the Hanafis, they are part of Ahl Sunnah in this. They just differ on what type of socks. Ahl Sunnah, they differ in terms of certain issues. Like in the actual issue, are you allowed to wipe over socks or not? Besides what type of socks, how long, all of these issues, no. Oh, is the is the masala here wiping over the socks? Is it allowed? Yes, Hanafis they believe that everyone believes it. Apart from the Shia and the Khawarij, so he says, "وَأَنْكَرَ الرَّافِضَةُ مَنْ تَبِعَهُمْ الْجَوَازِ وَكَذَا الشِّيَعَةُ وَالْخَوَارِجِ." And the Shia and the Khawarij. قال الحسن البصري الإمام الحسن البصري said, "حدثني سبعون من أصحاب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم." The Prophet, the seventy of the companions of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, they um, told me أنه عليه الصلاة والسلام كان يمسح على الخفين. Seventy companions told me that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to Wipe over his socks. This is Imam Hassan al-Basri. 70. That shows that it's mutawatir as Ibn Hajar mentions. وَقَدْ رَوَى الْمَسْحَ مِنَ الصَّحَابَةِ عَلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ خَلَائِقَ لَا يُحْصُونَ خَلَائِقُ لَا يُحْصُونَ And Imam al-Nawi says in al-Rawda, Ziyadat al-Rawda, he says that the wiping over the socks was narrated from the companions, a large number of companions, to the point that they can't even be numbered. There's so many. The people who wiped over uh, showed this issue of wiping over the socks and they, they spoke about it and they narrated it. They narrated it. So now wiping over the socks has its conditions. We're not going to take the whole bab today. Can we one hour? Maybe we'll see. طيب والمسؤول الخفين جائز بثلاثة شرائط. There's three conditions for you to be allowed to wipe over the socks. There's three conditions for you to be allowed to wipe over the socks. Sisters, this question pass it on inshallah. طيب number one is أن يبتدئ لبسهما بعد كمال الطهري. That you put on these socks. After you have done a complete wudu, you've put on your socks after you've done a complete wudu. Meaning, a person can't put on his socks and then do wudu and then just wipe over. No, 
you woke up in the morning, for example, you done your wudu full, you washed your feet, then you put on your socks. Then when you lose your wudu and you want to do another one, you know, your, your socks are still on, and you put them on whilst they were pure, whilst you're in wudu, then you can wipe off with them. You understand? Do you understand that point? For you to be able to wipe over your socks, right now, let's say I've got my socks on, right? I have wudu and I put on my socks. Then when I break my wudu now, I don't have to take them off, I can just wipe over it instead of, wa of washing them. Because I wore them whilst I had wudu. That's because of the hadith of Al-Mughira, when he said, uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he was wearing two socks, I went down to take off his socks when the Prophet Sallallahu was doing wudu for him. And the Prophet Sallallahu said to him, Leave them, leave my socks on, because I wore them in a state of purification, of, of purity. So I was pure when I wore them, therefore leave them, because so I can wipe over them. So now, wiping over the socks, if someone is doing wudu, and then when he gets to his feet, he does his right foot, he washes his right foot. Then he puts on his right sock. Then he washes his left foot. And then he puts on his left sock. Then an hour later, he breaks his wudu. Can he wipe over the socks? Mm -hmm. No. Would you, he lost wudu after putting one sock on? No. He was doing wudu. When he was right foot, he washed his right foot, then he put his right sock on. Then his left foot, he washed his left foot, then he put his left sock on. Then, his wudu, his wudu, is, is wudu correct first of all? His wudu is correct. Like, he went, one hour later, he broke his wudu. Can he wipe his socks? Can he wipe over or not? Yeah. No. He said complete wudu, no? Yes, he did. And then you put him on time the right to you. Alright, that's the question, yeah? Can you wipe over his left sock? <laughs> <laughs> no. He can't wipe over. Why? Because we said, بعد كمال الطهري After you finish your wudu, that's when you put on your socks. So you have to have, you have to finish your wudu, then you put on your socks. Or you, you don't have, it doesn't have to be straight after wudu. Right now I have wudu, I can take off my socks, and I can just put on new socks. I still have wudu, right? So it doesn't have to be straight after. Like, you, you have to put on your socks whilst in the state of wudu, that's it. Then you can wipe over those socks after you break your wudu. Is that clear that condition? Tayyip? Um, Naam. That's the hadith for it. Are oh, the socks you're talking about leather socks the ones you wear every day? We're gonna mention them inshallah, but the ones you wear every day inshallah. Number two is that these two socks they must wash, I mean they just they, they must cover, they must cover the whole foot that you have to wash. The whole part of the foot that you have to wash. How much of the foot do you have to wash in wudu? Hmm? What do you guys wash? The back there. Up to where? Up to your ankles, right? You have to wash up to your ankles. You guys know. So you go back to wudu. You have to wash your ankles, up to your ankle. Everything that's below the ankle, right? you have to wash it, right? Therefore, the socks must cover everything, including the ankles. So can you do? Can you wipe over ankle socks? No. You can't wipe over ankle socks. Why? Because they don't cover the ankle. So that's an that's a, that's a important, mistake, important mistake that people make. That they would wipe over ankle socks. These socks, they have to be covering. An important mm -hmm. issue that comes into this is... Socks with holes in it. If a sock has a hole in it, has it covered the whole foot? It hasn't, right? Therefore, but you can still wipe over it. But you can still wipe over it. It doesn't come under this. Because the companions, no doubt, they would, wipe, they would um, have socks and they were poor. And the, the Prophet never told any of those who had holes in their socks or anything like that for them to not wipe over their socks. Rather, they are allowed as long as it is still a sock. As for if half of it is gone, but no, it's not a sock anymore, you can't wipe over it. Like if there's a small hole in the sock, or one or two, 
then it's fine. You can still wipe over them. Yeah. No, if you have ankle socks, you have to take off your socks and you have to wash everything. Mm. The next one is Now this one, this is the Shafi'i is what they say. They say that these socks, they must be some socks that you are able to walk in. Walk in. And what they mean by that is it has to be strong material. So they are talking about the material here. Some, some of the scholars when they talk about this, they mean the material. <laughs> they say, according to the Shafi'i, they say there has to be material they are able to walk in. For a long time, thick cotton, leather, thick. As for these thin socks that we have today, are they recommend that? According to them, no, it doesn't. And that's the difference. You see that difference. The Hanafis, for example, similar. The Malikis, they say it has to be leather. It has to be leather socks. The Hanabila, and this is the best, Allah uh, this is the opinion that was considered to be authentic by, or the strongest opinion by Ibn Taymiyyah, is that as long as they are considered to be socks, then you're allowed to wipe over them. Whether they are thin, whether they are thick, whether they are see through, whether they are or not, whether you can walk in them or not, leather or any other material, al-jawarib, as long as they are socks, then you can wipe over them. And this seems to be strong and taken by Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Baz and Sheikh Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah ta'ala, and other scholars, that as long as they're considered to be socks. So the question is here, that you ask them the question here, leather, it has to be leather or a material, no, as long as they are socks, then it's fine. Exactly. Sorry, is that because the Prophet didn't Exactly, he's because he left a general, so as long as it comes under a sock, it's fine. Now, the scholars here, this third one, some of them they explain it in a different way. They say that it has to be socks that they stay on by itself. They socks they stay on by itself, meaning it's not something that will fall off. Imagine someone just puts a cloth, a cloth, and it just is not tight. It's not tight on their onto their onto their feet. Right? Then you can't wash, you can't wipe over those. Okay? Lacking the point is that it doesn't matter what material, as long as they are socks and they cover the whole part of the of the foot, and you wore them in the state of wudu, then you are able and you are allowed to wash or wipe over them. Um, oh, actually, no, this topic is kind of short. We finish it. The next issue is how long do you have to wipe over your socks? They say you have one day and one night. 24 hours, one day and one night to wipe over your socks. You have one day and one night to wipe over your socks. Meaning, You put on your socks in the morning. Let's say 9 o'clock in the morning. You put on your socks. And you've done wudu and you put on your socks. 9 o'clock. You had it on until 12 o'clock. 12 o'clock you broke your wudu. With these same socks on. When you break your wudu, the stop watch starts. You've got 24 hours. When you break your wudu, the stop, the, you've got 24 hours. You can wipe over them for that 24 hours. So let's say at 12 o'clock I broke it. I done wudu, I wipe over it. Two hours later I broke, broke it. I done wudu, I wipe over it again. Wipe over it. Keep then until the next day I sleep. Wake up in the morning. I still wipe over it. Until 12 o'clock. When 12 o'clock hits, I can no longer wipe over it. If I break my wudu, I have to take them off now. Is that clear? So that's what it means by you have 24 hours. And the evidence for that is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ from Safwan narrated by Al-Bukhari or that Rasulullah that the traveler was given three days and three nights. That's the traveler. As for the one who's resident, وَلِلْمُقِيمِ يَوْمًا وَلَيْلَةً One day and one night. إِذَا تَطَهَّرَ وَلَبِسَ خُفَّيْهِ أَنْ يَمْسَحَ عَلَيْهِمَا That he's able, if he, if he purifies himself, does wudu, يعني, and then he, and he wears his socks, then he's allowed to wipe over his socks for that period of time. Uh, Al-Bukhari also, and it's also عن Safwan ibn Asal, رضي الله عنه قال, 
Sufwan ibn Asal, he said, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يأمرنا إذا كنا سفرا ألا ننزع خفافنا ثلاثة أيام ولياليهن إلا من جنابه. That we, the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم, when we would travel, he would command us not to take off our socks for three days and three nights, except in the state of janaba. And you can wipe over your socks for wudu, but can you wipe over your socks for ghusl? No, for ghusl you have to take them off, min janaba. ولكن من بول أو غائط أو نوم. But rather when you go to the toilet or you sleep, and you break your wudu. So that shows that the resident has one day or one night to wipe over his socks. And the traveler, he has three days and three nights to wipe over his socks, starting from when? When he breaks his wudu. Mm. Um, I've got 12 p.m. then until the next day um, that I can yeah 24 hours till the next day yeah exactly yeah, correct you can keep wiping over mm. do you guys set up like measure the days as 24 hours as well no they did they would mention and some of them they mention is Confusing for everyone. I can focus. طيب, he says that if now you said traveler house has how long? Three days and three nights. And the resident has one day and one night. Like what if someone is half day resident, half day traveler? Or half day traveler, half day resident. Meaning he's a traveler, he's on the plane. He wipes over his socks. How many days is it supposed to have? Three days and three nights. But at the end of the day, he goes home now. So when he wiped, when did he wipe? When he was in travel, when he was traveling, we say he has one day and one night, the minimum, because he's where is it now? No, because we take the minimum. Similar situation, he's at home. He wipes over his socks, then he leaves, goes to the airport, goes to the airplane, he's traveling. But he, when did he wipe? When he was Muqim, when he was resident, and now he's traveling. We say again, we take the minimum, so one day and one night as well. Both situations, one day and one night. Exactly. In a situation one day and one night, so you don't take the more the higher number. The only time you are you get to travel, you get to wipe for three days and three nights is when you put you you wipe you started wiping when you were a traveler and you were still a traveler. Then you get three days and three nights. So it's only connected to where you started. No, it's not connected to where it's the minimum. Yeah, because where you started, you were a traveler and then you became muqim, it's still muqim. When you were muqim and then you became traveler, it's still muqim. One day, one night. Hmm. That's a bit of a confusing one, like in Labas. وَيَبْطُلُ الْمَسْحُ بِثَلَاثَةِ أَشْيَاءِ He the author mentions three things that break the wiping. And what, we, what you can mean by that is two things. Number one, they, you can mean that you're no longer allowed to wipe over the socks. And the second thing that they could mean also is that it breaks your wudu. If any of these three th things happens, it breaks your wudu. But what seems to be strong, Allah Alam, is that what it's talking about is and what's the stronger, Wallahu alam, the stronger opinion according to um, uh, Imam al-Nawi and Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Uthaymiyyah, rahimahumullah, they say that what it's talking about here is you're just not allowed to wipe over anymore after these three things. Number one is bikhal'ihima. If you take over your, if you take off your socks, if you break your wudu and then you wipe over your socks, then you take them off. Okay? Then you put them back on. Can I wipe over those socks? You can't. 
Because if you take off those socks that you wiped over, if you take off the socks that you wiped over, you already wiped over them. When I talk about if you washed your feet, if you wiped over these socks and then you take them off, you can no longer wipe over them again. You have to do another wudu. But does it break your wudu? According to the Shafi'i and the majority of the scholars, it does. Like in Imam Nawi ibn Taymiyyah, Shaykh ibn Taymiyyah, they will say that no, it doesn't. Because there's no evidence to show that it breaks your wudu. So if I wiped over my socks right now and then I take off my socks, I still have my wudu. I can pray. And the second one is one qida' al-mudda, if the time finishes. If the time finishes, 24 hours, 12 p.m., is my wudu broken broke at that time? According to the scholars, yes. Lakin, these others, they say no, it doesn't break the wudu. As is the opinion of Imam Nawab, Ibn Taymiyyah, Shaykh Ibn and other scholars. They say that it doesn't break your wudu if the time finishes. But can you wipe over it after? So, so 12 p.m. comes again. Can I wipe over it after 12 p.m.? It's finished, I can't anymore. And the third one is, وَمَا يُوجِبُ الْغُسْلَ Whatever obligates ghusl. And if I have to do ghusl, I can't wipe off my socks. I have to take it off. If a person wearing his socks, he's a traveler, and he sleeps, he wakes up, and he had a dream, and he has to do ghusl. Okay, what happens in that situation? He has to take off his socks and do ghusl. He can't wipe over his socks in that situation. Barakallahu feekum. Is that clear, guys? And the, the last issue clear? Anyone, any question in that issue? Anyone need to repeat? Tayyib, Allah alam. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa ashabihi. Ajma'in, alhamdulillah.